New Year, New Nothing. Though Genesis may remain closed due to the new lockdown, we wanted to bring you a special edition of the podcast before we take a bit of a break till your favourite East End haunt reopens its doors. I'm Morton Wright, and joining me as ever are the two voices in my head. First up is our highest priority on the vaccination list. It's Matt Williams. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> And then there's the creator of the upcoming Netflix, Kristen Stewart and Ruby Rose buddy comedy, Astra and Zeneca. It's Nikki (laughs) Alexander. That was brilliant. I read that this morning. Oh, well, when you wrote it at lunch and I was like, that's great. I love it. I would watch that movie. (laughs) Of course you would. Of course you would. (laughs) How are you both? Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. You know, 2021. I feel like it's the same so far i feel like it's worse one of my <laughs> colleagues had the audacity to be like i feel so refreshed and like rejuvenated and like energized after the break and i was like kill them. why <laughs> who are <laughs> i was like oh great yeah me too what no i feel the same i was like this is the same <laughs> nothing's changed see i'm very i'm very confused by or very conflicted because it feels like five minutes and 500 years mm. but I feel like I've got quite used to it now mm. I've got quite used to being in lockdown and it because I because I'm quite happy being at home it doesn't bother me as much as as say other people and I do feel sort of relaxed and rejuvenated after Christmas um well, good but time. when you look at yeah but when you look out when you look like you read the news or you look at other people's situations you're like no this isn't actual shit show of gigantic proportions um so i shouldn't maybe be as chipper as i as i feel yeah well i'm glad that you No, it's good to be chipper i think uh, embrace some of the positives when you can like obviously you can't always be depressed and like we have got the vaccine on its way so that's i am positive about that yeah but I think- <laughs> but boris going we're gonna roll out 22 million vaccinations by february <laughs> no we're not any any of us a five-year-old can do the maths and go how's that gonna work it's a bit like the track and trace. It's a bit like you promise all this stuff and nothing ever happens. Yeah. So I don't think we can get our hopes up too much. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I've just spent the start of this week so far on multiple different Zoom calls with everyone just going, have you completely forgotten how to work from home? Like In that space of two weeks, it's just completely <laughs> disappeared from your mind. So, yeah, we'll see. All right. Sorry, Morton, you can go That's all your right. intro now. Okay, so coming up on the podcast this week, we've got reviews of Soul, Wonder Woman 1984, and Wolfwalkers, a preview of what we're looking forward to this year, and a cult vault picked by Matt, which is the 1996 twisted fairy tale retelling Freeway, starring Keitha Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon. Don't forget to follow us at Genesis Podcast and at Genesis Cinema on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us on podcast at genesis-cinema.co.uk if you have any comments or would like to be a guest on the show for one of our features, including In Defense Of, where you come on to sing the praises of an otherwise derided film, Comedy Gold, Cult Classic, or the film that changed my life. So first up, it's reviews, and we're going to be talking about Soul, which dropped on Christmas Day on Disney+, Plus, directed by Pete Docter and Kemp Powers, and starring Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. So this is about a musician who's kind of lost his passion for music or is, is hoping to get like one last break, and then he dies and is transported out of his body, um, but he doesn't want to cross over to the great beyond and so he manages to get to the kind of 
before place where souls are created and given personalities. And that's where he meets 22, who is played by Tina Fey. And they kind of try and get back into the real world. And he ends up in the body of a cat. His name, his name is Joe Gardner. He's voiced by Jamie Foxx. He ends up in the body of a cat. And Tina Fey kind of ends up in his body. I really loved this movie watching it. Like it was a really nice like Christmas Day film. I thought it went beyond kind of what they tried to do with Inside Out by giving like feelings, feelings and kind of going beyond in this like existential where what what are we living for? What's the meaning to life? Like, why do we have a soul? And like, what is our I can't remember what the thing is that it's called there. What is he trying to find? his spark so yeah people were looking for their spark so i think the the bits in the um i guess like purgatory type place where they're like creating the new souls where they're like okay you guys will be narcissists off you go that way and you lot will have uh, emotional <laughs> problems with your mom okay that way it was really funny i thought there was like some really funny bits i have seen a few so i think the one criticism is that the black character ends up being voiced by a white woman for like pretty much the majority of the film. And so kind of takes away like his voice in a way. And I think that's, I think that's the only sort of major criticism of it that I think needs to be addressed. But apart from that, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. It was a, it was a big surprise when you had Graham Norton as the kind of hippie character uh, who was like a pirate guide through Through the place of focus and whatnot. I felt visually it was much more interesting than Inside Out, which was for me, even more than the plot, that was my main issue with Inside Out. I felt that the plot wise, it was fairly bread and butter Pixar. But the idea that inside your mind would just be such a dull landscape was a disappointment. Whereas for this, like there's the blending of the different styles for different characters with the kind of 2d beings that are patrolling the great before and just yeah you there there were really obvious kind of cinematic touch points like a matter of life and death is just infused throughout this film i think my my only criticism uh of it other other than what you've uh just pointed out there as well about tina fey effectively voicing joe for a lot of the film would be a little bit of the criticism that I've had for a few Pixar films before in that I felt its final act diluted its message a little bit. Um, I won't go into spoiler territory, but um, yeah, I just think it kind of tried to have its cake and eat it a little bit in the very, very closing scenes. But it felt like a real step forward and kind of a sidestep as well from Pixar. For me, this is their first film that actually adults are the main audience uh, and kids will just come along to it as well. Whereas I think often it's the other way around. Like there's, there's always a lot in there for adults, but I feel this one was really directed at adults just in the sense that it's about a midlife crisis as such. And you can't really expect a child to fully grasp that necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with both of you. I absolutely adored it, but I also watched it on Christmas Day and I watched it with a mixed audience <laughs> of adults and kids. So I got perspective on on both and how people would react to it. And what I loved about it was that it challenges you. It challenges you to stay with it at the beginning because it's, without knowing anything about it, if you go in cold, it's quite 
tricky, you know, and there's lots of themes there. And the first, first maybe half an hour or so is setting up what this place is that Joe has gone to mm. and what it means. And, and, and I could see people in the room around me going, what is happening? Mm. You know, and, but bit by bit, the character work is so defined and so well drawn that you become very engrossed in Joe's journey. And then when 22 comes along because she's so embittered and, and funny and caustic like that provides the laughs and then you know when you go back down to earth and there's the kind of visuals of the cat and all of that you know it all just kind of becomes um fast-paced and exciting and invigorating so it combines all of this kind of intellect and ex existentialism as nikki mentioned but provides the laughs provides the pace that people especially kids need to keep them uh, engrossed I just, I thought it was wonderful from start to finish. I thought the message of it was so profound. I thought it was so uh, moving at times, surprisingly so. Like it really, it really got me. And I think it's because the themes are so universal mm. and the overall message is that don't give up, you know, don't allow external factors to prevent you achieving what you can, your destiny, you know? And yes, it sounds cheesy when you say it, when I say it like that, <laughs> but actually... <laughs> The way the way the film presents is really hopeful, and it just felt like after. I guess a film like this is going to have more impact in a year where everybody's been so affected by um, the pandemic and lockdown and everything. I feel like this is the kind of I don't know. It's like a, a movie for your soul, if you like. Like it just it was just so uplifting, and it was just so um, positive and funny. And I mean, the animation is just glorious from start to finish and as you mentioned Morton as well the use of the 2d characters before somebody is fully developed it was just so clever yeah, you know and um I I loved it it was one of it, I have to say like it shot to the top of of my favorite films of the year yeah I think I agree I had a really profound I guess experience watching it in a way like I think you're right the pandemic kind of made it more needed like you needed that uplift I think it was a great idea to drop it on Christmas day when you've got like potentially families together but also a lot of people not together mm. and watching something mm. like that where it's it is quite life-affirming but I think also even though it kind of has this whole thing about finding your spark I think it also had the message of you don't necessarily have to like achieve something massively yeah. great in order to have a spark and in order to make a difference which I think is quite nice and also to feel to feel valued mm. I mean that that's and, and I think, you know, with the, the 22 character, it is, uh, the, the character is very cynical mm. and as and is fed up. And so everybody can relate to that. And so it draws all the laughs and everything out of that. And then, as you say, the, the message is about accepting what you have achieved and accepting yourself for who you are and, and that you are valued and you are worthwhile. And it does it in a really clever way because it's neither it's neither one or the other it doesn't feel like cheap laughs and angry and then really sentimental and mawkish like it gets the balance exactly right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah for sure. they balance it really well and i think tina fey was very well cast to to do that hilarious like, so funny and i and you almost don't realize it's jamie fox doing mm. the voice work because the character of joe is so is is fairly like calm and <laughs> despite what's going on around him like he's believable the voice work is very believable but he doesn't overplay it mm. and he doesn't get hysterical and that really endears you to him and also you know you are aware watching it 
this is the first Pixar film with an African-American at the center of the story. And the representation there is important. And, you know, to have so many eyes upon it and for Pixar to just break down those barriers, which should have been broken down a long time ago. It also plays some part in how profound the film is. Yeah, definitely. I think it's what you, what you said there as well about his character coming across as calm as well is really important. And it's not it's not like some of those films where you've got someone who's got a dream and it's completely unachievable. Like this is a very achievable thing for him to do because like you see straight away that he's got amazing talent. It's just that life hasn't quite gone that way. But th- that just makes that message extra extra impactful like you say because it's it's not a case of that all oh, your your life's over because it hasn't gone in the direction that you wanted to it's it's still happening all around you and it's about like you say in this in this time of the pandemic and everything just learning to enjoy what you can at the moment yeah also can i say i absolutely adored the score as well trent reznor mm. who knew that was such Pixar. a shock at the end yeah such a shock but it's perfect the music is such a it's a character in itself in this film and you know i think some people might think jazz music oh, i'm not for this but it is a bit like jazz <laughs> the film you know it kind of envelopes you in this kind of um in, in storytelling and in moodiness and and it's very affecting and i thought what Trent Reznor did with the score adds just layers to it in a way that is so unexpected and it just feels, that feels exciting in itself. Dr. Borgensen will be matched with soul number 22. Oh, we're gonna get into this now. Excuse me. 22, you come out of this dimension right now. How many times have I to tell you I don't wanna go to Earth? Stop fighting this. Place. I don't wanna. You will go to Earth and have a life. 22 has been at the U Seminar for quite some time and has had such notable mentors as Gandhi, Abraham Lincoln, and Mother Teresa. <laughs> I made her cry. Ignore that. We're truly glad to have you here, Dr. Borgensen. It is an honor having you prepare 22 for Earth. I'm going to make you wish you never died. Most people wish that, 22. (laughs) Off you go. Bye. Is this heaven? (laughs) No. Is it H-E double hockey sticks? Hi, Coyote! It's easy to get turned around. This isn't the great beyond. It's the great before. The great before? Oh, we call it the U Seminar now. Rebranding. Does this mean I'm dead? Not yet. Your body's in a holding pattern. It's complicated. I'll get you back to your group. (laughs) Come on, little souls. Get on up here. Welcome to the youth seminar. So another film that was, well, it did get released on the 16th of December over here is Wonder Woman 1984, which is the sequel to Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. And because of Tier 4, 
it wasn't available to see in London or people couldn't get to see it in London. So only those in tiers two, I think, and one, even though there, I don't think there was anyone in tier one when the time it, when it came to be released. So sadly, not very many people have seen it in cinemas over here. But as we've discussed on the show before, Warner Brothers made the decision to release it on Christmas Day in theatres in the US and also on HBO Max. And, well, I mean, it actually it sort of worked in reverse a little bit. The word of mouth at the beginning um, when some press had seen it were, were out and out raves, I would say. Mm. And as the film has been seen by more people uh, via HBO Max and in theatres in the US and more reviews have come out, it's actually had not an entirely critical drubbing but it's been pretty severe some of the reviews have been pretty scathing i have seen it and i am going to stick up for patty jenkins okay because yes it there are problems it's way too long like it's two hours and 25 minutes long i think and it does feel it sags in the middle there is a bit of bloat there are some questionable injections of comedy that don't quite work but what i will say is that it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It's set in 1984. It opens, it actually opens uh, with this spectacular um, sort of 10 minute segment in Themyscira when Diana was a young girl competing in the um, Amazonian Olympic Games. And the shots and the, the, I mean, it's really exciting and breathtaking. And I was so floored by the setup of it and the camera work and everything it was just really really exciting we then fast forward to 1980s uh, to the 1980s in washington dc and uh you know we have all the typical tropes of an 80s set film so you have the shopping mall and you have the outfits and the cars and all of that and you kind of get glimpses of wonder woman fighting crime and there's a whole sequence in a in a shopping mall that just basically is the kind of setup for the era that you're in we then get quickly introduced to Kristen Wiig as Barbara Minvera, who is uh, a doctor who works at the Smithsonian with Diana. And uh, Barbara is like, you know, glasses and a bit kind of dorky and nobody really pays any attention to her. And she sort of ends up connecting with Diana and they become sort of friendly, get on quite well. But they, during the heist at the shopping mall, um, it's uncovered some of these, they uncover some antiques and, um, that a uh, that a jeweler's was hiding, and one of those seems to have mystical powers, and so up pops Pedro Pascal as Max Lord, who is this Trump esque oil merchant who's also a TV star, and he's worked out that this artifact has particular powers, and of course unleashes them, and it touches upon all of our main characters in various ways, and actually the way they. Because everyone, there's a lot of questions about like, how is Chris Pine back in this? How did they bring back Steve Trevor? Well, that's all tied into the plot line and it actually works quite well and I quite liked it. Um, what I loved about the whole sort of first half of the film is it is so reminiscent of Richard Donner's Superman. Like it has the feel of an 80s superhero film. And in my mind, it should. It's set in 1984. Like, that was the point. That's why Patty Jenkins did that. It's almost like a homage to that time. And so I really enjoyed that. When Steve Trevor reappears and they end up having to fight Max Lord, Pascal's character, and Kristen Wiggs as she evolves throughout the film, um, there's a whole sort of middle se segment uh, where they go off to the Middle East for a bit. And it doesn't quite work it's a bit like they knew what to do at the beginning sort of knew what to do at the end and in the middle it's an excuse to have these really lavish action sequences there are a couple of moments where you're like 
oh, like when Wonder Woman suddenly gets out of a speeding car and runs alongside it. It looks ridiculous. Like you can't, you, you, you watch it and you're like, why did you think that was a good idea? It looks silly, you know, and it kind of, the, the thing that's sort of irksome about that is that it, it diminishes her clout and seriousness as a superhero. Mm. You know, I was thinking about how, you know, Chris Nolan hasn't done that and even Zack Snyder hasn't done that. And so I felt like it was a slight betrayal of the character and it was unnecessary. Having said all of that, Gal Gadot is so charming and funny and likable. Like she's, it's a prop. It feels like she's so bedded into the character now and she delivers everything you want her to deliver. Chris Pine, hilarious as he was in the, the first film. Um, and I really like the fact that he, He's so willing to play second fiddle to Diana. But the standout for me, and no one is going to be surprised by this, <laughs> is Kristen Wiig. Because, you know, she gets to evolve. Her character is very nerdy and all of that. But she obviously, and it's no spoiler alert, she evolves into the cheetah. And she's convincing, completely convincing as both. You know, she provides real laugh and, and heart as Barbara. But then when she morphs into cheetah, she's fearsome. She's like sexy and feral and... You know, she goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, with Diana, and it's just it's really exciting and fun to watch. Um, but then, of course, like the Ma Max Law character, he has the big kind of subplot, or the and he's the main villain. So then the film sort of goes off um, with him and his story. And I loved Pedro Pascal on it. I thought his performance was great. It was really over the top and really enjoyable to watch. But there's quite a few sequences towards the end of the film where I think Patty Jenkins was going for a bit of a bit of old-fashioned American humour. Um, for example, some cows turn up in Washington at one point. You'll, you'll have to watch it to understand it. But you just kind of go, huh? What was, what's that about? You know, like there's a couple of moments like that. So it could have done with, say, 20 minutes, 25 minutes trimmed off the running time. But overall, I really enjoyed it. It didn't feel um, like a chore. And I just thought it was fun. And I thought it was just really polished studio fun. And I'm looking forward to the third instalment. Well, I think that sounds great. I mean, I'm still really looking forward to watching it. I think Morton said earlier that it's coming out on VOD in the UK on the 13th of Jan. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. On the 13th, which I think is really, really savvy by Warner Brothers as well, because that's two days before uh, WandaVision on Disney Plus as well. So it's kind of... Which looks great, by the way, as well. But like, yeah, jump, jump the gun a little bit. I, I doubt, given the amount of restrictions that were placed just before this came out, I doubt too many people have been able to see it at the cinema. Uh, so yeah, I think really savvy by them. Obviously, it would have been a bit too much to try and get it safely and non-stealable online in time for Christmas. Uh, so yeah, really, really savvy uh, scheduling by them. So Wonder Woman 1984, go see it when it's well don't go anywhere stay in and see it in a couple of weeks <laughs> not the message we want to be sending right stay. now Ricky. thanks very much stay in pirate it watch no, it on amazon don't pirate it. wait for it to come out and legally watch it we've got to support cinema now more than ever and we have to show up for like female-led and female-made content to prove that they can make money because this is never going to have a chance at making the box office money that other DC and Marvel films would because it's not going to have the big cinema release. So it need, they need to show that people still want to watch these films. Some days my childhood feels so very far away. And others, I can almost see it. 
the magical land of my youth. Like a beautiful dream of when the whole world felt like a promise and the lessons that lay ahead yet unseen. Looking back, I wish I'd listened. Wish I'd watched more closely and understood. But sometimes you can't see what you're learning until you come out the other side. So another animated gem that I caught over the Christmas period was Wolfwalkers, which is uh, directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. And Tom Moore, his previous films were The Secret of Kells, which I know Nikki loved. Or was it Song of the Sea that you loved? I love Song of the Sea. So Song good. of the Sea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, this film is kind of the third installment, really, in his kind of Irish folklore trilogy. And I, as I say, I hadn't seen the other two films, so you don't need to have seen them to appreciate how beautiful and brilliant this one is so it's set in 1650 in ireland and it's about a young girl um called robin who has moved to kilkenny with her father to try and hunt the last pack of wolves that live in the forest just on the outskirts of this town um but Events unfold and Robin ends up saving a wild native girl called Maeve and their friendship leads her to discover the world, the world of the Wolfwalkers and it transforms her into the very thing her father is tasked to destroy. Um, this film is just stunning on every level. The animation is so beautiful. Um, the character work and the just uh, just so engrossing and it has it absolutely captures the kind of mysticism and the and the Irish folklore um, through music, through dialogue, um, through mysticism, and it all works. And also it's about female friendship and it's about independence and it's about father, fathers and daughters. There's so much crammed into it. Um, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, I just absolutely adored it. I thought it was just so and, and unusual as well, which I really liked. You know, it's kind of a little bit offbeat, a little bit strange. Um, but wonderful, really, really beautiful, beautiful film. Why do you want to be here? Being a wolf is way better. I'll show you. Can you smell me? <laughs> of course. Everybody can. <laughs> well, close your eyes. Don't need your eyes to see. And you can hear every little thing that moves. And your paws can hear through the earth. And you have four legs now. You can run really fast and jump so high. Hey, wait for me. Keep your nose down. Be a wolf. All the echoes in my mind cry. There's blood on your lies. The skies of the Uh, 
so now a bit of a special feature we're going to give a preview of 2021 and the films that we are looking forward to uh so as i mentioned at the start and as you will be unable to escape the news cinemas are of course closed at the moment but we are hoping that by the end of the year we'll be able to look back on 2021 and recall a few more times that we sat in a big dark room than we did in 2020. Uh, So I was reading something earlier, actually, that was talking about how 2021 could be an amazing year for film because we're going to have two years worth of films, effectively, and two years worth of hits all kind of cramming into 12 months and fighting for space. But for, for my shortlist, I have tried to focus on... Uh, films that were originally scheduled for 2021 rather than those that have been delayed from last year. Uh, So first up on my list is The Many Saints of Newark, uh, directed by Alan Taylor, uh, which is a kind of prequel to The Sopranos, focusing on Tony Soprano's dad, with Tony Soprano as a kind of teen, early 20s, character in it as well during race riots uh, and kind of union relations with the African-American community in, I believe, the 50s. So, yeah, really, really excited for this one. And isn't James Gandolfini's son playing? He is. Yeah, he is playing Tony Soprano. Yeah, Yeah. that's brilliant. That's a brilliant bit of meta casting. That sounds really good. Do you think you're going to need to have seen The Sopranos to get it, though? I don't think so, no. I think it's going to be a kind of fairly classic kind of gangster film um, that you could probably go into quite cold. I think you'll gain a little bit more uh, if you've seen The Sopranos or if you're at least familiar with some of the family dynamics within it, as it will be focusing on the previous generation to Tony Soprano with some characters that are still alive uh, for The Sopranos and some that aren't. So I think, but I think for the most part, you should be able to go in fairly cold. Cool. It sounds really good. It sounds amazing. Yeah, no, I, I'm really hopeful for it. Um, it's one of those films that it could it could eventually land either way, a little bit like Trailer uh, Chicago 7, a bit like The Irishman as well, that we, we've had a lot of films from that era and that genre that haven't dealt well enough. What? I love Trailer the Chicago 7. Let me finish. That haven't dealt well <laughs> enough with the uh, with the African American story of the time, hmm. which Trial of Chicago Seven did, but in a very roundabout way. Like it was an important part of it, but you could also cut out Abdul Mateen uh, second scenes, and the film wouldn't actually lose that much, which is kind of a little bit window dressing as such. It's not really digging into those issues. Yeah, I suppose if you're going to look at a film that does capture that really well, One Night in Miami is the film to look out for that's coming out. I think it's coming out on the 15th of January, actually, on Amazon over here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's another one that I'm looking forward to as well. But um, yeah, so that was The Many Saints of Newark. Uh, so next up for me, also, this one's looking quite far ahead towards the end of the year, probably really next year's award seasons. But there's uh, there's been a few press photos of it Um taken from the set in the past week or so, is Adam McKay's next effort after The Big Short and Vice. He is continuing his kind of dramatic comedy mashups rather than his um, uh, his more frat boy comedies that he was earlier known for. It's Don't Look Up, 
This is the one that we talked about on the show before that has had an absolutely huge cast lined up. Everyone from Leo to Timothy, uh, with Jennifer Lawrence in it as well. So many people that you will struggle to fit them. All those names on one piece of paper. Ariana um, Grande. <laughs> like, like say, all, the big hitters, all the big hitters. I think she's going to be like the Margot Robbie in the big short, you know, where like she's the one that sits in a bath talking to the camera for like two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe slightly more feminist than that was, but yeah. Well, you know, Meryl Streep's the president in this as well. I saw an interview with her about it, and she said that she's playing the president of the United States in Don't Look Up. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, this is about two scientists who identify a meteor that is on a collision course with Earth, and they uh, they tour America trying to raise awareness of it as people... Uh, as is want in the modern age, ignore the experts' advice. From what I can see from the press pictures or the on-set pictures, it looks like Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence are doing comedy, yeah, not yeah. drama. My my hope for this is a kind of big feature, big budget version of the Simpsons episode where they all go up onto the mountain expecting the rapture. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the the final one of my three... I'll give my honourable mentions in a moment, but the final one of my three is 3,000 Years of Longing, which is George Miller's latest film that um, has been shooting. I wasn't too sure a couple of months back what was really going on with this because it was announced a couple of years ago after uh, after Fury Road. The casting was announced of Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Uh, the suggestion that it would be a kind of a romance story about a genie. Um, and then it all kind of disappeared, but it started to feature on a few lists. It's been uh, four films that are coming out this year uh, that people are looking forward to. Uh, it's been in production, but it's all very much under wraps at the moment. But um, yeah, he's an amazing filmmaker and mm. cherish every single film that he comes out with, even Happy Feet. Uh, so yeah, I'm really, really excited for this. And then my honourable mentions are The Souvenir Part 2, uh, which is coming from Joanna Hogg, uh, and Malcolm and Marie, uh, which is the John David Washington and Zendaya film that was shot during lockdown. What? I don't think I've heard about this. Yeah, Sam Levinson directed it, didn't he? He did um, yeah. Euphoria. Oh, no, I have, I have, I have. They kind of bubbled and shot it in the first lockdown. It's not even kind of since any of it was eased as such. It's all very much a kind of chamber piece, I think. Speaking of lockdown, did you see the trailer was released today for the movie Lockdown that stars I... Anne Hathaway and Chiwetelegi for? No, what? I did yeah. see about that, yeah. So I saw the trailer. It's directed by Doug Lyman, who obviously did Go and The Edge of Tomorrow. Is it The Edge of Tomorrow? Yeah, the yeah. one with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And the trailer looks really good. So it's about this couple in London, played by Chuta Lejafor and Anne Hathaway, and they become embroiled in a diamond heist. And it's Mindy Kaling's in it and Stephen Merchant. And it looks really fun and fast-paced, but it was all shot in London during the first lockdown. And, you know, they're wearing masks and they're talking about COVID. Oh, and yeah, this is the one that shot at Harrods. Yeah, shot at Harrods. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I know about it because Laura works for Harrods, so they had to, like, they had, like, loads of filming happening and they sometimes get asked if they want to be in, like, the background because they work there. Yeah, because the... She didn't do it because it was, like, overnight filming. 
that's what it all the all the clips in the trailer looked like it was filmed at night when no one else was there um but yeah did, i mean interesting that filmmakers are moving so fast to kind of capitalize on on a on a story arc yeah it looks in slightly better taste um michael bay's songbird oh yeah yeah, yeah. What's that? It, to be no. fair, it's produced by Michael Bay, not directed, but it's um it's set in I think over twenty twenty four or twenty twenty five, uh, where COVID is still ongoing and it's decimated the world, uh, and it's about a, a guy that decides to travel across America and break through all the quarantine zones to get to his love interest, and it looks utterly awful and wow, that absolutely sounds- terrible taste. Yeah, that sounds horrendous. I don't want to watch that at all. It's billed as a comedy thriller, according to uh, IMDb, which I feel like those two words... Songbird. Songbird, songbird. Which I feel like those two words don't go together. Comedy thriller. What? That is weird. Okay. I didn't realise that. Hmm. I mean, maybe just comedic how bad it is. I don't know who's seen it, but it's already got, like... I think it's been released in America and oh, just most most distributors over here have gone like, yeah, oh, we don't you can, No, you can watch it on YouTube if you want to pay £14. You can watch it on YouTube. Yeah, it's on Amazon and iTunes as well. Yeah, you can rent it for for £13.99. Rent no, it for that price? Yeah. Absurd. <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to review it for... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Matthew, what are you looking forward to for 2021? Well, my first choice is a film that was due to be released um, in May of the last year, uh, which is the standalone Black Widow film, which is directed by Kate Shortland and stars, obviously, Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. Um, I loved the thought of this film because I always felt like Scarlett Johansson was underutilized in the uh, Avengers movies, um, probably given the most to do of all the women in the, in the film series, but still not enough. So I was, um, yeah, I was really excited to see it. The trailer looked great. Um, the cast as well, Florence Pugh, Rachel Weisz, David Harbour, you know, it just looks like it will be a lot of fun, big action spectacle. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, it is due in May, 2021 obviously depending on the pandemic and where we're at with it then, but hopefully um, we'll get to see it in theatres. So I'm looking forward to that. I tell people my sister moved out west. You're a science teacher. Your husband, he renovates houses. You're thinking about moving, but you're going to wait until the interest rates go down. That's not my story. Before I was an Avenger. I mean, mistakes. And a lot of enemies. He's called Science Taskmaster. He controls the Red Room. They're manipulated, fully conscious, but no choices. I should have come back for you. How many others are there? Enough. to go back to where it all started so they never do that to anyone again we're a family we fight with you you won't win i've always found it best 
not to look into the past. Okay, you got a plan or shall I just stay duck and cover? My plan was to drive us away. Well, your plan sucks. At some point, we all have to choose between what the world wants you to be and who you are. choice. I'm done running. My other choices, um, this one I'm really excited about because I think Robert Eggers is one of the best filmmakers around. Um, it's called The Northman and it's his third feature and it is a revenge tale that takes place in 10th century Iceland and Alexander Skarsgård plays the Nordic prince Amleth and he's the inspiration for Hamlet apparently. Nicole Kidman is playing a queen in it and Bjork will be featured as a witch. Um, so yeah, I just think Eggers is an absolute unique voice in cinema. I loved The Witch. I thought The Lighthouse was one of the best films of 2019. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. I thought I still to this day maintain Robert Pattinson was robbed of an Oscar nomination. Um, but just all the themes in it, in all of his film, it just kind of runs through his work. Um, it's just really dynamic. And he manages to make horror with real characters and um real emotion so yeah and just the cast for this i mean nicole kibben and bjork in the same film hello <laughs> sold so yeah so i'm really looking forward to that again as Morton was saying about the other films he was discussing there's no release date as yet but they're looking at sort of the end of 2021 um and my final choice is a film not from the cohen brothers but from one of the cohen's uh, joel cohen is gone out on his own and has teamed up with uh, his wife, Frances McDormand, and Denzel Washington. And they're making, or I think they've made, the uh, a film called The Tragedy of Macbeth. So it's, um, it's a kind of variation on the Macbeth story. And Denzel Washington, of course, will play the lead, and Frances McDormand will play Lady Macbeth. I just, the thought, again, it's about the pairing of actors. I just think those two together, directed by Joel Cohen with Shakespeare, and Macbeth is probably one of if not my favorite Shakespeare plays just because of the themes and how dark it is and how much emotions involved um so yeah I'm really excited for this so yeah Tragedy of Macbeth and again that's sort of towards the end of the year I mean that's it sounds if all goes well it's probably going to sound um sound quite awards worthy um and of course we've got Francis McDormand in Nomadland which is coming out very shortly which looks like it's going to get a lot of awards attention as well yeah, which nearly made it to my looking forward to of 2021, but it kind of is, te it feels like a 2020 film. It appeared on loads of people's top tw top films of 2020, and I was like, it hasn't come out here yet, bastards. Um, <laughs> if BFI weren't so stingy with their tickets, we I know. Well, what's, ex what's exciting about it as well is it looks like Chloe Zhao will get, is, is the front runner to not only get nominated, but to win the Oscar. So that would be really exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be yeah. amazing. Um, my honourable mentions are Promising Young Woman, which is Emerald Fennell's directorial debut with Carrie Mulligan, which has been getting rave reviews across the board, um, particularly for Carrie Mulligan in a completely against type performance from her. Uh, also, Don't Look Up, which Morton mentioned, one of his choices. Uh, just the idea of this cast and Adam McKay, I just think, is irresistible. And 3,000 Years of Longing as well. I'm excited for this because, as Morton mentioned, I'm also a huge fan of George Miller. 
and even despite Mad Max Fury Road being one of my favorite films of all time, his previous work, like The Witches of Eastwick and the original Mad Maxes and any, everything he's done has always been Lorenzo's Oil. I don't know if you've ever seen that with Susan Sarandon and Nick Nolte. Unbelievable film, like a proper moving family drama, which you wouldn't expect from George Miller. And he just knocks it out of the park. And also it's quite exciting because this has been sort of made just before he starts filming Furiosa as well. So um, he's going to present two very completely different um, films. Uh, and also, yeah, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Amazing. So, yeah, so they are the films that I'm looking forward to in 2021. So just rounding off with a few of my uh, 2021 hopeful highlights uh, to look forward to. Uh, the first one is called Judas and the Black Messiah, which is an upcoming biographical film based on the life of Fred Hampton, who was uh, chairman of the Black Panther Party in the 1960s in Illinois. Uh, it's directed and produced by Shaka King. I think this is their sec uh, only their second feature film. Um, they've worked a lot with TV. And it's based on a story by King, um, as well as Kenny and Keith Lucas, and it stars Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. So it's scheduled to be released in the States in February 2021. It's going to be on HBO Max and in any theatres that are open. I think, I mean, I love Daniel Kaluuya. I think he's brilliant and I love Lakeith Stanfield. So I'm just really excited to see a story that I think hasn't really been seen on on film before, like the... The premise is um, a petty criminal called William O'Neill agrees to work as an informant for the FBI in order to take down the Black Panther Party. So Lakeith is playing William O'Neill and Daniel Kaluuya is playing the uh, the leader of the, the Black Panther Party. But this one is one that was filmed in 2019. So I think production wrapped at the end of 2019 and it's just been, I guess it must have been on hold. It was originally scheduled to be released in August 2020, but it's been postponed because of covid obviously and now that warner brothers have announced their simultaneous release on hbo max i think they're just putting everything on there deputy chairman fred hampton of the illinois black panther party repeat after me Looking at 18 months for the stolen car, five years for impersonating a federal officer, or you can go home. The Black Badges are forming a rainbow coalition of oppressed brothers and sisters of every color. Their aim is to sow hatred and inspire terror. I will learn all that I can. I These ain't no terrorists. You can murder a liberator, but you can't murder a liberation. You can murder a revolutionary, but you can't murder a revolution. And you can murder a freedom fighter, but you can't murder freedom.
my other films that I'm looking forward to, Matt just mentioned one, which is uh, Promising Young Woman, which is scheduled to be released also in February this year, written and directed by Emerald Fennell and starring Carrie Mulligan as a, a woman who's traumatised by tragic events in her past and seeks out vengeance for the, uh, with those who've crossed her path. And the trailer for this just looks really out, like, like you just said, Matt, like a really out there and like really different performance for Carrie Mulligan. I'm just really excited to see her like have fun with this this on the screen i think it's going to be great brilliant use of a britney spears song in the trailer as well <laughs> so good and then like supporting cast from like alison brie bo burnham laverne cox so it's just like ticking all my boxes like got lots of great people in it and just looks like a really like fun interesting like revenge feminist film my assistant tells me that you're interested in resuming med school i left under unusual circumstances huh. You remember the accusations made against Alexander Monroe? I don't. He took a girl back to his room. You know, we get accusations like this all the time. So it's a he said, she said situation. What would you have me do? ruin a young man's life <laughs> was it reported yes do you know who she spoke to you well the doctor's here <laughs> Every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Really? <laughs> Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? <laughs> what do you want? I don't know. You seem nervous. No use hiding from the piper. Oh. She has to be paid. Why does it for doing everything? <laughs> it's a day of reckoning. everyone my last one is okay so bear with me it's a bit of a joke one but why yes yes morton uh so nicholas cage announced that he is making a film in which he plays himself uh it's going to be called the unbearable weight of massive talent which will be an action comedy film uh directed by tom gormican who also co-wrote the screenplay with Kevin Etten. I wasn't being sarcastic when I said why. Like the, oh. I, meant, I meant why as in why is it a joke choice. I, I'm oh. really excited for this as well. Pedro Pascal <laughs> playing his stalker. Yeah, I mean, it looks. I think it looks funny. So I think it just looks like it could be very funny and like super meta. And it's got Tiffany Haddish in it and Sharon Horgan and Neil Patrick Harris, who I absolutely love. So yeah, Nicolas Cage accepts a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of a Mexican billionaire superfan and then things take a wild turn and he is forced to become a version of some of his most iconic and beloved characters in order to extricate his wife and daughter from the fan who is a notorious drug lord. So I just think this sounds like it's going to be hilarious. And um, because my a couple of my friends and I have this kind of Nicolas Cage film watching club that we sort of been doing during lockdowns on my letterboxed, 
my top watched actor for last year was Nicolas Cage with 11 films. <laughs> 11. You watched 11 Nicolas Cage films? Yep. In one Reel year. them off. Reel them off. Which um, one? I'll have to get them up. Hang on. Give me one second. If National Treasure is not on that list. Uh, National Treasure is on that list. Um, if National not- Treasure 2 is not on that list. I, I think both of them are. I think National Treasure <laughs> 1 and 2 were definitely watched. Give Where his a- parents are played by Helen Mirren and John Voight. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. I mean, some of them were horrendous, like absolutely horrendous. Like sometimes we do pick them based on how bad they look they're gonna, like they're going to be or how Nick Cage, Nick Cage is going to be in it. Oh, Mandy. Did you watch that? Mandy is on the list. So from, from January, National Treasure, Drive Angry, God. Mandy, Kill Chain. Do not watch her. That was just awful. Knowing, also, oh. Ghost Rider. Uh, but just hilarious season of the witch which was bizarre and weird and shit stolen which was really really bad uh spider-man into into the spider-verse which i don't think counts that wasn't part of the uh nicholas cage thing i just watched that and he happens to be a voice in it color out of space and adaptation oh adaptation you finished with a good one yeah finished with a good one so yeah they were they were the 11 nicholas cage movies that i watched <laughs> last year um and i fully blame my friends for this but I'm going to guess it's going to happen, might happen again this year. I'm, I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try really hard to watch like more films with like someone else in it. You should watch Vampire's Kiss. Put that on the list. I've seen it. It's awful, but <laughs> it's so, so funny. mental. It's, so funny. <laughs> it's got Bet from um, the L word in it, which is hilarious. yeah, yeah. And when he eats like the cockroach and stuff, you're like, what is happening in this <laughs> when film? Counts, when he's just like one, two, no, you know, he does the alphabet A, B, C. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love him. <laughs> Have you seen the community episode uh, about Nicolas Cage? No. It's no. fantastic. Arbed takes a, uh, a film class and tries to answer the question, Nicolas Cage, genius? And watches all of his films back to back, just spirals wow. out of control. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. Would I have needed to seen the rest of the series in order to get that? No, 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 no. Maybe I'll just find that episode and watch it. Um, and my honourable mentions uh, are In the Heights, which is a new musical written by Lin-Manuel Miranda based on the stage musical, which I'm very excited by because I think it looks fun. And A Quiet Place 2, which was meant to come out uh, in 2020. And A Quiet Place was put on Netflix, I think, sort of in the midst of the pandemic. And I'd not watched it because I'd, I'd kind of psyched myself up to see it. And then I think it got taken out of cinemas whenever it came out because initially I thought I'd be too much of a worse to watch it but it's actually brilliant and the trailer for the second one looks really good i rewatched it again today and i was like ah oh, this looks like it's going to be really interesting so i've got high hopes for that and then matrix 4 which i know is like right at the end 2021 december which i'm super excited about seeing the gang back together and i'm hoping that they can uh, make up for the matrix reloaded and revolutions and get back to the loaded it's fine, but it's not good. It's yeah, not as good. I'd, I've got one, one more honourable mention in that oh, case. If we go all the way to the end of the year, it's not got a title yet, even, and it might still be pushed back to next year. But I, I've got a love-hate relationship at the moment with uh, Spider-Man Three casting rumours because of the sheer amount of kind of multiverse dream casting scenarios that are going on so like jamie fox is coming back alfred molina is being confirmed as coming back 
that there's still heavy rumours about Willem Dafoe potentially coming back as well. And, and Emma Stone as well. Emma Stone as Spider-Gwen, um, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire possibly as well. And it's the kind of thing that you just like, this is going to be so overloaded a film, it will obviously fail. But I, yeah, I'm very intrigued for it. Mm. Oh, another honourable mention. Go on. Cruella, Emma Stone's backstory of uh, Cruella, written by Emma Thompson, I think. I think Emma Thompson was involved in it. But yeah, I just like the the steampunk aesthetic of Emma Stone with the Dalmatians. I just, I don't know. I just think it would be, it would be fun and interesting. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that as well. Yeah, Emma Thompson did it, but I'm not sure that she wrote it. No, well, I hope she didn't write it because last Christmas. Thank you. So I watched. Oh, 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 oh. So you watched last Christmas. I watched. Late night over Christmas as well. I but, like yeah. late night. I like late night as well. I thought late night was all right. No, compared to last Christmas, I mean, which is I think one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's so. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I was like, I mean, she wrote it. It's the gimmick that you, everyone guessed from the trailer, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, but it's not even that. It's the fact that she's attempted to be so. She's attempted to be so woke on every level. So oh, you God. have, you have. I mean, it's basically. I mean, not to spoil it for anyone, but it's like spoil it. Spoil it. Yeah, it's like it's like a ghost meets love. Actually, I mean, it's absolute garbage. And the, all the characters in it, like the homeless people, are really like affable, and all they really need is a song and a dance and a plucky young, a plucky young girl to sing to them, and then all will be well. And you know, they've they've got um, everything's represented, but in such a in such a broad way so you have like ableism and you know there's obviously emma thompson plays the the mother of amelia clark who's a east european refugee who's you know so they 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 go on about immigration but it's all just done in this fluffy yeah brexit i mean they've done it in this fluffy concoction that has no weight whatsoever and it is so cloying and sentimental and i mean the scenes in it with michelle yo who plays the boss of of Amelia Clark, and there's this whole romance with her and this mysterious German guy or Danish guy, and the exchanges between them are so bizarre and absurd, you can't actually quite believe what you're watching. It really is one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it was. I can't believe you were made to watch it. I'm, I feel sorry. Well, I knew you'd said it was bad, but I was like, oh, she's exaggerating. Actually, I should. <laughs> I should have known because if you hate if you hate a Christmas film, it's got to be really bad. It's got to suck, and it did. It sucked. It really sucked. So we're doing a cult vault this week, and it's my choice. It is a film that I have loved ever since I first saw it. I think back in '97, maybe. Um, I remember it coming out on video. Um, it bypassed the cinemas in this country. It's called Freeway. It's written and directed by Matthew Bright. It stars a 20-year-old Reese Witherspoon and Kiefer Sutherland. And it's a twisted take on the Little Red Riding Hood story. And it's about a teenage juvenile delinquent uh, called Vanessa, played by Reese Witherspoon, who lives with her mother, who's a prostitute, and her father, her stepfather, who's abusive and a drug addict. And uh, the, the film sort of opens. It sort of sets the tone straight away. You, you're aware that Vanessa is illiterate and living in this like really squalid, abusive situation. Um, but Vanessa is a lot more than she seems. She's not a victim. She's not vulnerable. She's very tough. She's very streetwise. 
she decides she doesn't want to go back to social um, to, to foster care. So she traps her social worker and goes on the run to her grandmother's house. And she gets on the freeway, her car breaks down, and she's rescued by Kiefer Sutherland's seemingly helpful psychotherapist who turns out to be a, a serial killer. Um, but of course, this being a twisted take on Little Red Riding Hood, our Vanessa turns the tables on the serial killer and things evolve from there. And um, to say this film is broad <laughs> is an understatement. It is, it's very, very dark, but it really appeals to my twisted sensibilities. I thought Reese Witherspoon is spectacular in this role. I mean, she was 20. She wasn't a household name. She completely delivers on the, uh, on, on uh, she, what she does with a really difficult character is she makes her likable despite doing despicable things. And you are sort of rooting for her because you understand the situation that she's in. I mean, she's at turns vulnerable, but at turns like hilarious, potty mouthed, I mean, hideously racist at some points, which to be fair, what rewatching it recently, I was a bit like, mm, that whole scene with the police officer is I quite. Thought was, I thought that was kind of interesting because I thought it was an interesting way to show that just because she had a black boyfriend doesn't mean that she's not racist. But also. That was an interesting play out of like that kind of, I don't know. But I think well, I think what the setup, what Matthew Bright does really brilliantly in this film, which is surprising given the really broad comedic moments, is that the setup and the explanation and the journey Vanessa's been on when her and Bob are walking um, in LA after having had dinner, and she's explaining what's happened to her in a, in in care mm. and the abuse that she suffered. You get a real understanding of where her volatility and anger comes from, and so when she has these outbursts, of people, you know, she's. She may not be educated, she may not be academic, but she's incredibly bright and she understands things. And then the anger takes over. And so the way that they portray that and they show it is great. I mean, it's a it's an incredibly out there performance for a young actress. I don't know many other actresses who could have pulled it off the way that Reese Witherspoon does. I think I agree with you in that it's a very unique and, um, and great performance. I think I struggled to get past the fact that she didn't look the age that she was meant to be playing. Like she's 20 in this. And I don't know whether that's also like, I mean, like you say, I think if you'd watched it in the ninth in 1996, not knowing who Reese Witherspoon was, it might've had a better and um, bigger impact. I think well, she'd only it, done one film up until that point. So this yeah. was only her, this was her second or third film. Yeah. But I think watching it for the first time, like this year and, and knowing who Reese Witherspoon is, I just, I don't know. I just was like, she looks way too old. I was like, how old is she meant to be? And then they kind oh, of... See, I'd never thought that. Even Yeah, I suppose, as I say, I saw it before you, so... I thought, yeah, she looked way too old. But um, I just, I did struggle a bit with the tone. Um, and some of it is just really bizarre and, like, also ridiculously over the top. But I don't know. I kind of enjoyed, I kind of enjoyed it. I can see why you would enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed her performance, but I, I don't know. I just thought it was a bit a bit too far. Maybe there's just some like really madcap bits, and like the fact that I don't want to go into spoilers. I'm not sure we're allowed to go into spoilers with our cult vault, but there's just some things that happen that seem very unrealistic, like way too unrealistic. And then the end was just even more 
bizarre and out there and i was just like oh my god i'm not sure i really like bits of it but i wasn't a fan of it overall i think i didn't have the issue with the age that she seemed after you get out of that opening school scene that was a bit jarring i was just a bit like wait what um after that i was just like yeah no she's just vaguely hollywood young like that that didn't really hold me back i think what what kind of was the stumbling block for me was that it kind of felt a little bit like if john waters directed the hitcher but it was always kind of felt like it was veering more to the second part of that rather than the zaniness of it like the the performances all felt really out there but the the kind of vessel that they were all within just felt a little bit kind of like b-movie saturday night lads action horror kind of film and it just it was just a bit jarring as a but result wasn't that the point though wasn't that the point because yeah. i feel like i feel like it was meant to have that feel that kind of grindhouse feel yeah. but yeah. yet subvert what you normally see in these films which is you know the the protagonist antagonist if you like well actually i mean it's a film full of antagonists because there's no one likable in it but that again i loved i loved that matthew bright was like i don't care whether people like this person or feel sympathy for this person. I'm just going to put them out there um, and give them a bit of a backstory and give them a bit of meat on the bone. And I think with Reese Witherspoon, it's like the the fearlessness that she shows, whether it's the comedy, the sexuality, the brutality, the vulnerability, all of that, it just, it, it, to me, it feels like her performance. I mean, it, in a way, her performance almost eclipses everybody else in it. Yeah, definitely. But it's still it's still a fascinatingly brave indie performance from an actress that when you look at her now and you look at her body of work, you think, wow, this is when you were really raw and unfiltered and and willing to kind of go there, you know, mm-hmm. which I found really exciting to watch. Yeah, I thought she was great in it in that respect. I felt it wasn't a particularly great performance from Keith Sutherland, especially when he can play those kind of creeps really well. It didn't, it, I wasn't completely sold on that. I think it, it, it reminded me a lot in a way of how I felt when I watched um, Death Proof for the first time that if, if you're in the right mood, you'll, you'll enjoy it and you'll, you'll get it. If you're not quite in the right mood for it, it, it'll it'll stutter a little bit, but see, I you know even though I did just say I think Reese Witherspoon does kind of command the screen in in everything. I do think there are some brilliantly wacky, unique star turns in it. So from Amanda Plummer as her deranged mother, because the thing about it is Amanda Plummer when she plays these characters, she's so convincing. You know, you just believe that you're watching a documentary almost because she's sort of she is feral. You know, she's like animalistic and then you've got Brittany Murphy and of course we saw Brittany Murphy do a version of this in loads of other films much later on this was her first you know uh, supporting character oddball that she sort of became quite well known for and Alana Ubuck as well who plays the gang leader that uh, Vanessa has the fight with in the juvenile detention center and what I liked about that was then there was this you know in, in what we always see in male dominated films is the men gaining each other's respect through violence. You never see it in a female film. You never see it where female films are the character of the leads. And in, in that exchange between the two of them, even though it isn't subtle, there ends up being this mutual respect between them and they end up helping each other. And what I love about it is that Witherspoon manages to play the softness and the harshness equally 
as well and gets the balance right. And and it's quite tough because, you know, as you said, the tone is very, very broad. Um, that's what I think excited me about it. I mean, there's obviously, I can see that there are things wrong with it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's obviously made on a, it's obviously made on a very low budget, but I just think the ideas in it and the audacity of it needs to be celebrated. I mean, casting Brooke Shields, Brooke Shields is great in this. Like she's so great. She's like the OC blinded wife, you know, like Republican doesn't see her husband for the, the disgusting psychopathic pervert that he is. But then when her world, the minute her world comes crashing down, she can't handle it. And, you know, there's, there's all these themes running through it that I think are very universal. You know, don't it bother you your own wife bring off all them strange guys for money? I make her use mouthwash after. Oh, you like that minty fresh taste, totally. Sheriff's department, you're under arrest. We're totally fucked. Just after you left, the pigs came and pinched mom and Larry both. And my, my parole officer showed up like a motherfucking plague to take me off to foster care again. It's like last time. So, uh, what'd I call you? I'm sorry, my name is Bob Wolvick. You the guy that's been killing all them girls on the freeway, Bob? <sighs> if you anything, I'm gonna shoot you so many times! You know, you should just let me out of the car when I asked you to, Bob! We are not here to talk about me, Vanessa. We are here to talk about you. Get your goddamn hands off my anatomy. Claustrophobic. Yeah, well, I get claustrophobic sucking strange dick. Get in there! Drug addicts. Fathers fuck their daughters. The drug addicted mother fucking whores with their bastard fucking arms. I ain't no trick, baby. Why are you doing this? I'm pissed off. The whole world owes me. Is that you, Bob? I, I, I can't believe such a teeny wee little gun makes such a big mess out of someone. So even though Genesis Cinema is currently closed, do keep an eye out on their Twitter at Genesis Cinema as they are offering film recommendations of film and film on TV over the coming weeks. So until we meet again, thanks for listening to the Genesis podcast from Genesis Cinema, hosted by Nikki Alexandri, Matt Williams and Morton Wright. Follow us at Genesis Podcast and at Genesis Cinema on Twitter and Instagram. Please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Music is Do You Want To Be Loved Like This? Instrumental by Kelly Lee. And we recorded this all at home in our individual home spaces connected via the internet. So please excuse any audio issues. I was going to mention my sideline dream but i think i shouldn't <laughs> nikki I, I don't think people are going to be like oh, phil they're going to be like what's up with that like <laughs> okay fine um my 2021 did start quite nicely um because i did have a, a dream in which i was in a throuple with gal gadot and idris elba but it wasn't as racy or saucy as it sounds it was much more like playing house (laughs) (laughs) which is i mean i'd be playing but it wouldn't be house (laughs) if i was in a throuple because i have to say gal gadot is just probably the most perfect human being that has ever existed Mm -hmm. yeah i mean she is flawless yeah and fun as well that's the other thing yeah she's like she seems like she seems like a hoot